You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with David Nelson. He's the president and founder of Crossing Cultures International. David, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Zach, for having me. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your ministry, um, what you guys do, how you do it, and um, maybe maybe why you do what you do? Okay. So uh, our ministry is Crossing Cultures International, and our mission is to glorify God by equipping Christ followers globally with comprehensive training for effective ministry. So essentially what we do is we bring uh, training to pastors and church leaders in, the context, in, in a relational discipleship context so mm-hmm. that they can um, fully equip to serve the Lord in their local church in whatever capacity God has called them to. So we start classes using a curriculum called BTCP or Bible Training Center for Pastors. It's a 10 course curriculum that's basically the the essentials of seminary training and translated into the language of the people that we're working with. And uh, so we bring that in a discipleship relationship with the students. And most of the time, uh, classes get started by invitation. They've heard about our ministry somewhere and they invite us to come mm. to their country or their place and uh, train the first teachers or train the first students. And so when our classes grow to about 12 class, five to 12 classes in the country, we start looking among the teachers for a coordinator to oversee those classes. And when we start having co- multiple coordinators over a country, we start looking among the coordinators for someone to become a national director. And so the ministry grows that way. And uh, The model is based on what Jesus did with his 12 disciples over a three-year period of time. And the reason why we do this, yeah, the reason why we do this is 95% of the world's pastors do not have access to formal theological training. And so we bring training to them that is accessible, affordable, and reproducible. Hmm. How did you get started in all this? And and maybe share... Yeah, share some of the things that you're most excited about lately in regards to what God is doing through the ministry. So my wife and I moved to the Philippines in 1986, and uh, we enrolled in language school in Butuan City, Mindanao, at the New Tribes Language School. And part of the language training that we went through was uh, learning the culture. And one of the things we saw in learning the culture was that a lot of the jobs in the Philippines are learned in an apprenticeship. And so if you went to the, if you go to the welding shop, there's a man welding, but there's also someone watching him, learning how to weld by watching him and by him teaching that man. If you go to a tailor, you'll see a man teaching another man or a woman teaching another woman and a taxi driver or a fisherman or farmer or a carpenter. And so I saw all of these professions modeling where someone was learning from somebody else in in an apprenticeship and studying through the Gospels, I saw that Jesus did the same thing also. 
And so I decided that I would, uh, that the vision God gave to me was I would take the seminary training that I had and entrust it to men that, that God would give to me. And so in our first church plant, the Lord gave me three men. Uh, we took over a, a church plant from another missionary. There were 11, uh, 11 believers in that, in that small church. And so I prayed. And I decided that I will follow Jesus' example. And so I prayed and I said, Lord, give me three men to train from this group. And at the same time, he opened the door for us to start uh, evangelistic Bible studies using uh, chronological storytelling from the Old Testament through the New Testament through the life of Christ. And so I taught this in our church also. And these three men heard it in the church and they saw it and with me when I went to the, uh, the Bible studies. I said to them, you don't have to teach or preach. I'll do that. Uh, and after three months, they started teaching with me. And I would coach them on the way home with all the good things that they did. And I started making suggestions to them and ways that they could improve their teaching. And after seven months of doing that, uh, three more men joined us from uh, the Bible school that we had started, our, our mission had started, and another man from our local church, a young man. So there were eight of us, and the Lord opened the door for 20 Bible studies. And so we were going in all different directions. And in uh, 1989, I took them, some of them to a pastor's conference. And on the way home on two motorcycles, six of us, I was rejoicing in my heart and saying, Lord, this is the greatest experience I've ever had serving you, not just for me serving, but equipping these men to serve you capably. And I prayed, Lord, let me do this the rest of my life. And I believe what I'm doing today, what, I'm, what we're seeing today is the result of that prayer. And God has answered that prayer in many ways, much greater than what I, what I ever expected or dreamed of as we are now serving in 34 countries among 130 people groups with about 600 classes right now with over 7,000 people in training. And uh, one of the things I'm most excited about right now is that God has opened the door for us to expand in East Africa and also in Central America. America. And just last week, I had a conversation with two pastors in Central Asia, and they, were, they, were, they wanted to know about our ministry and how we could work together, and they're going to go back and pray about it and come back to me, and, and it looks like there's an opportunity for us to go there also and start training in those countries. Man, that's incredible. So 1989 was yeah. essentially when the vision was cast, and you've seen this explosive growth over that period of time. That's right, yeah. So, so you know, as, as we were starting churches, the first church in the Philippines, uh, these seven men with me, uh, we did. We saturated the town with the gospel through all kinds of means, but we wanted to get people in a Bible study. And so, uh, the real folk, the the focus of the training with these men was in a relationship with me, uh, giving them opportunities to get involved in doing evangelism in the community, and those that two those two elements plus the training I was giving them on the side. Those three things together became the catalyst for their growth and development. And so you've just taken that model with those few guys and replicated it to a, yeah. a larger group of people. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yes. That's cool. What have been some of the most, uh, maybe the hardest lessons you guys have come up against oh. or learned or the challenges yeah. and struggles you've encountered as you've, as you've built the ministry, obviously not everything goes perfect in ministry. There's always challenges yeah. and struggles, right? So what does that yeah. kind of look like? 
So the, the biggest challenge we've had, the, the biggest lesson I've learned in, uh, in the last uh, 37 years is to not get impatient and wait on God uh, to work in the lives of people. So we have a process. Uh, we start classes. I, I, we either train the teachers or we train the students. And from the students comes the future teachers. Or if we're working with teachers already who are qualified, who already have training, prior training, then we look among those teachers to find coordinators. And from the coordinators, we look for a national director to oversee the whole country. And so the, the uh, temptation is to shortcut that process. Mm -hmm. uh, to, where, to where you, like, we, we did this twice. I did this in two countries in Asia where I promoted two men to be the national director before they had gone through the process of being a teacher, then a coordinator. And uh, they, they had not proven themselves yet. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, they had pastored churches, but they had never gone through this model of, of relational discipleship like this. And so they were good teachers, but they were not good coordinators or, or they did not multiply the ministry like we wanted them to do. And so we, we essentially had to start over in both countries. Uh, we did a restart in India uh, about five years ago, and uh, it's growing. Um, uh, right now, we have a, a group of a, a cohort of 22 teachers and uh, two of the two of the men have become coordinators. We're slowly growing. Uh, the, the structure there, and the same thing in Indonesia too. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's been the biggest lesson is to to wait upon the Lord and let Him work in the hearts of people and give people opportunity to prove their their faithfulness and their character before promoting them to uh, a higher uh, responsibility. Hmm. Now, are you guys, you said you're in a, uh, 134 people groups, 34 different countries. Uh -huh. Of of those places, are you seeing a difference in um, how effective things are, given whether or not the, that place is or is not hostile to the gospel? Like, what does that kind of end up looking like? Uh, okay, so yeah, so some places are hostile to the gospel, uh, especially communist countries mm -hmm. uh, and um, and some Muslim countries. Uh, and and uh, Hindu countries as well, like India. Right. Uh, so uh, you know, we uh, try to keep a low profile. We're not uh, a high profile ministry in those countries. Uh, all, we have classes in local church that meeting local churches or homes or buildings that already exist. Uh, so we're not um, advertising out in the public and promoting it in such a way. But we are letting the students promote the ministry. And the mm. teachers promoted to others, and so uh, you know I have met pastors in India and and other countries that have faced a lot of hardships. Our uh, our director in Laos, who's with me now, who's he he probably has the most difficult of anyone working with us uh, because uh, he's he grew up in that country, left, uh, became a citizen. Uh, in Canada, and then went back, and uh, the, the uh, police watch everything he does, and so it's been really difficult for him there. As uh, uh, not he has the 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 organized uh, church in that country against him, and he also has a government against him, mm. and so he's been uh, he's given a lot of pushback 
And uh, so he, all of his classes that he has right now are underground with uh, local churches and remote areas. Interesting. Yeah. What's the pushback from the traditional or institutional church in that country? They, uh, they want him, they don't want him to be teaching because he's not a citizen of that country. And, mm. uh, and, and so uh, uh, they've given him a pushback on, or, or they'll show up at a class and say, you're not authorized to, to teach here. Uh, and, and so, you know, in some and, and persecution in Laos is the, the whole village turns against someone when they become a Christian. And so they're either put in jail or they just disappear mm. or they have to relocate somewhere else. And so some people have just disappeared. They've been, you know, somebody's, uh, uh, they, they've died or somehow. And, uh, because of the persecution there. Hmm. Now, is is the work that you guys doing? Is it all completely centered on training and equipping and teaching? Or when you try to break into hard to reach locations, is there uh, a needs element or coming in and serving serving some kind of need in some of these harder to reach places where you might not be able to preach the gospel right up front, but serving a need allows you to get in the door? Uh, you know, we found that uh, the, the biggest need is uh, a lot of pastors have families and churches and ministries, and they can't leave their ministry to move to the city and go to seminary. And so we preach the gospel through the students who serve. Uh, that has been our open door. Just so, for example, recently we just entered into Odisha State in India, and we already have uh, about a hundred students there just in the last three months. And uh, many of them they cannot speak uh, uh, the national language; they don't know languages of other states. They they can't speak English, and so uh, we are translating the curricula that we use into their language. And uh, that's the open door for us is into their culture is through the training we offer and they become effective in ministry and uh, they preach the gospel in their areas. And so we're not directly evangelizing people. We're indirectly doing it through the students and uh, the pastors and church leaders that we train. Okay, cool. Now, as a starting point for everything else we're going to discuss today, um, can you walk us through your definition of discipleship that you guys are working from? So our, our definition of discipleship uh, looks at uh, really it's coming alongside believers and finding out where they are spiritually and helping them acquire the Bible knowledge, the ministry skills, and the character and spiritual growth disciplines that they need for spiritual growth. And in a relational context, helping them acquire all of that to where they're using their spiritual gift and their abilities uh, to serve in the local church or in their ministry. So it's really, uh, it looks at, uh, it's coming alongside people and finding where they are and uh, helping them grow to the next level to where they're using their spiritual gifts and abilities. Okay. So you, you said coming alongside believers is, is the first touch point believers yeah. who might not be trained and then allowing those national believers to then go reach into their unreached and unengaged people groups. That's right. Yes. Yep. Okay. Awesome. So we have a, um, there's a, there's a past, there's a, a young man that we trained in Vietnam recently 
Uh, he was a drug addict and uh, his parents were communists and they tried to get him into a rehab center with the government. Uh, but he escaped and he became a thief. He robbed people and the police were after him. Uh, gangs were after him. And uh, finally, he agreed to the invitation of a friend to check into a Christian rehab. And when he was in the Christian rehab center, he, he uh, trusted Christ and he grew there and uh, they, he became a leader and they moved him to the, to the south, to the city of uh, Ho Chi Minh City where our ministry is based at. And he, he reached out to our director there because he ran out of messages and he didn't know how to interpret the Bible. And mm -hmm. so he would start, he would start messages in Genesis and end up in revelation. And so uh, <laughs> he, he really didn't have a found, he, he was a good leader because, you know, he went through the process of God saving him out of that background. Uh -huh. And he, and he had some natural abilities in leading people, but he didn't have the biblical back background and foundation to come up with his own messages and his own lessons and teaching people. And so we came alongside him and his core leadership group and trained all of them. And he testified that, uh, that he experienced life change and also was equipped with the tools for ministry effectiveness. Yeah. Mm. That's amazing. Do you, do you think that God is, as I've learned more about disciple making organizations and ministries and different models out there that all have a lot of similarities. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that God is doing some restructuring or reforming in how the church has viewed and defined discipleship over the last hundred years or so, or maybe longer? And if yeah. so, in what ways do you see God moving and restructuring discipleship and the church and how disciples are being made globally? Yeah, I I, I believe so, and uh, I think uh, uh, historically, where where we have focused, uh, the church is focused on large events and like crusades and and or uh, uh, a discipleship program basis, moving to more of a relational uh, foundation, relational mm -hmm. context with people has been a, a great change. And so um, in the past, there was a lot of emphasis on crusades and basically uh, getting people to make a decision. It's like uh, the salesman approach to a, a transactional decision rather than coming alongside them, finding out where they are and helping them understand who Christ is and what he's done for them and how they can grow spiritually. And so I think that that has been a great shift going from a, a, uh, a shotgun approach to getting people to make a decision, going to more of a relational approach, getting to know people and uh, investing in their lives and helping them to grow spiritually has been a, a good change. And I was talking with a, a group in Ohio just last week, and they, he said, you know, they understood the relational uh, discipleship uh, context uh, as opposed to what has been done in the past. So it has been a good change over the, over the last, um, I guess, 25 years or so, and especially yeah. recently. Yeah. Well, it almost seems like there is maybe maybe restructuring or reforming isn't the right terminology. It okay. almost seems like we're going back to the basics. Like uh, what I've seen throughout all these different ministries and models is that we're going back and saying, hey, let's really look into and ask the question, how did Jesus do this? And just yeah. replicate that model. That's and right. Because so, we see with the early church in Acts, there's just this explosion 
throughout mm-hmm. Rome. And uh, I think that we've overcomplicated things and gone, gone and, you know, inserted our own ways of doing things rather than just following the, the master of disciple making. And, uh, and so what I tend to see is this, this moving back to what was and maybe a redeeming of, of his original plan for what disciple making and discipleship should look like. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And when I was when I first moved to the Philippines, I looked at how Jesus trained the 12 disciples. And basically, you have four stages of how Jesus trained the disciples. Uh, The first stage was come and see. And he just invited them to come and check him out and to come and be with uh, and to be with him. He, He didn't ask them to do anything. Uh, he didn't teach them any lessons. They just followed him and watched him for about six months on and off. And they saw him uh, do miracles. They heard him te- his teaching and they develop- he developed a close relationship with them. And then about six months later, the second stage was come and follow me. And that's when uh, he, Jesus asked Peter to throw out his nets into the deep water, something that he was, he was not used to doing. And Peter obeyed and after, with the, with a huge catch of fish, he came to Jesus and said, uh, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus invited him to follow him and he would make him fishers of men. And he began training the disciples. And if you look at the, the gospels and, and those accounts, like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, we read that Jesus taught his disciples uh, and, and he sat down and began to teach them. And he did that for about a year. And then the third stage was come and be with me. We read this in Mark chapter three, uh, where Jesus prayed all night. And the next morning he called 12 men. He called apostles and he said, I've chosen you that you might be with me and I might send you out to preach the gospel, to heal the sick and cast out demons. And even there we see the, the emphasis on the relational aspect. And then the ministry aspect, you have the twofold aspect there of the the relationship with Jesus, which, by the way, is one of the greatest miracles in the Bible that God wants to spend time with us. And then he asked him to go do something after it's been almost two years now that they've been with him, that he gives them a task to do. And then he sends them out. He gives them instructions in Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10. And uh, they come back rejoicing. And, and they say, the Lord, the demons obeyed in your name. And Jesus says, rejoice rather that your names are written in the book of life. And then the last stage was in John 15 and Matthew 28, where uh, Jesus gave the invitation, come and abide in me. So he, he said, I, I have, uh, you cannot do anything unless you abide in me and trust in me. And you will do greater works than I have done. And that's where he entrusted the whole ministry to them. And we read in book of Acts that the numbers of disciples increased and multiplied in those days in Acts chapter six, verse seven. And so that was Jesus' pattern that we can follow in the gospels and see how he trained the disciples. And we can follow that pattern as well. That's the pattern that we have followed now, I have for 30 some years. And uh, this has been the most effective way of doing so. So we have the curriculum then we had the other aspects of the close relationship, the modeling example, the uh, guided opportunities and entrusting of ministry as people prove faithfulness and readiness. Mm. That's really cool. Yeah. That, that four stages uh, sounds a little bit familiar. Is, is that some, was that your own? Did you, 
Is that like Greg well, Ogden thing? That sounds kind of similar to something well, that's, that's uh, I've heard in this space. Yeah, I think if you, I've, I've read a lot of uh, books on this. Uh, one uh, book, one author is Bill Hall. He wrote okay. uh, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Disciple Maker and the Disciple Making Pastor. And he talks about these four stages. But you can find these four stages also in A.B. Bruce's book on the tw- training of the 12, which was written a couple hundred years ago. And so uh, in, in, a lot of people recognize these four stages. And uh, I think Bill Hall has been the one the most the best articulate them and to help churches see that they're that people grow in stages and in yeah. time periods rather just than just inviting them to a discipleship class and giving them all the same information. So uh, people grow in relationship to others. And so uh, for myself personally, when I moved to the Philippines after language school, I met, I uh, stayed in that, that city with another missionary who discipled me uh, for seven months. And I saw in him what it means to make disciples. He was the living example of that for me. And so uh, we all learn from other people. And that's mm-hmm. the beauty of what Jesus did. They watched him for, for six months. They didn't do anything. They watched him. And in the book of Acts, they did exactly what he did. And so uh, they learned from him. And we can do the same thing also. And one of the, the, mm-hmm. the truths that, that has made an impact in my life is uh, something that I've read that the disciple was not only committed to the teachings of the discipler or the teacher, they were committed also to the teacher. And so I, I know myself personally, when I was in seminary, I would have given anything to have spent the day with some of my professors. But most of my professors were busy uh, grading papers and grading tests and, and like that. Right. So most of seminary focuses on content, whereas you look in the Gospels, uh, Jesus focused on the relationship and then tailored his teaching to their need and their ability. And Bill Hull, the last name H U L L, is that correct yeah, pronunciation? That's correct. Yeah. Spelling? Yes. Okay, that's so we'll correct. Make sure to, we'll yeah. make sure to put some of his books in the that you referenced in the show yeah. notes so that people can learn more because that segues into my next question really well. Okay. Um it's obvious that training seems to play such an important role in disciple making movements and your disciple making model. Where would you guys recommend someone who is new to disciple making or new to these models or, or Jesus's maybe original way of doing things to learn about some of these principles? There might be a pastor listening out there. What would you say to him if he yeah. wants to start walking his congregation through this kind of training process? Yeah, I would recommend uh, those two books that I, I mentioned earlier, Bill Hull's book, uh, books on the Jesus Christ Disciple Maker or the, pa- the Disciple Making Pastor. I think that's the name of the book. Uh, those two books have impacted me the most uh, in our ministry. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there are others I can't think of right offhand. Um, so his, that's his, okay. His, we'll make sure to add those yeah. those to the show notes as well, so that yeah. people can take a look at that. Jesus Christ Disciple Maker uh, is one of his books, and uh, I can I don't find the other. Oh, Disciple Making Pastor. That's the Disciple two, Making Pastor. Yeah, that's the second book. Yeah, and right, I, cool. I'm, I'm writing a book right now called Multiply, uh, and it's going to 
talk about the eight, princ eight principles from the Bible for uh, multiplication of, of ministry. Oh, awesome. When Do you have an idea of when that'll be uh, published? I plan to publish it next year. Yeah. Awesome. So some, well, cool. some of the, the core idea of is it that God created us with the DNA to physically, uh, biologically multiply. We read this in Genesis chapter one, when mm -hmm. he, after he made man and woman, he said, it says he blessed him, them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, we read that in all the promises that God gave to Noah, to Abraham, and then in Exodus chapter one, we read that the nation of Israel multiplied greatly in those days. And then we find the word multiply again in the book of Acts. When in chapter six, verse seven, it says the numbers of disciples increased and multiplied in those days. Hmm. And so uh, God has created us physically to multiply and uh, spiritually as well. And so uh, many of us, many people don't think about multiplication in their ministry. They think about addition. A lot of pastors right. focus on getting their message ready and, and the, uh, the, the, the um, service and everything that's ready for the service. And that's the focus of a lot of churches is a Sunday morning service. And, uh, and so they, we add people to the church. And even, you know, Book of Acts talks about God added to the church. But uh, there's more than that. God desires that the church would multiply. And so there are principles that we can find in the New Testament that talk about that, that help us to see how we, we can multiply. Yeah. Well, cool. That's exciting. I'm excited to, to see that published and take a look at what you've written. Yeah. Thank you. Now, we've talked about a wide range of topics from overcoming challenges and struggles to fundraising. Um, how important is storytelling in your culture and in your marketing and communicating out to your your donor base yeah it's um so there's two uh two two types of information that we we inform our donor base one is the statistics how many classes like i i mentioned that earlier we have about 600 classes in 34 countries with over 7,000 students that's one aspect but that doesn't really put a face to the that's just numbers and right. uh, some people like to hear the numbers that we have seven about seventeen thousand graduates now, but there are there that represents a lot of stories, and so people like to hear of the the uh, the life changing power of the gospel and the word of God, and how ordinary people are, are now serving and making the difference in their communities. So we, you know, uh, fundraising for me is making disciples also, and so. Mm -hmm. We come alongside potential donors, business people and churches and individuals, and we have the privilege of telling the story of what God is doing around the world so that people have a global mindset and, and un understand what God is doing around the world. Otherwise, if I'm not telling the story, I look at that as depriving people of the opportunity of hearing of what God is doing. And so, uh, uh, you know, I... Fundraising is difficult, but it is making disciples. It is telling people the story of what God is doing. This encourages them. This in inspires people uh, to pray more and to give more and to see how their money, their investment is making a difference. And have you seen, <clears throat> have you always done that in your communication with your 
audience and your donor base, or did you start with the statistics and the data and the numbers and realize, oh, man, our audience is just kind of glazing over when I talk about this. But when I yeah. tell a story, there's engagement. There's they're they're much more interested. Was that a shift? Have you always done it? What did that look like? Well, it was. Uh, uh, I began that way. In the very in the eighties, when we first moved to the Philippines, uh, I, I've written a newsletter and sent out to our donor base every month for the last thirty-seven years, with the exception of one month about uh, seven years ago. I, I combined June and July, so. Uh, oh wow! So it's uh, you know I I want to tell the story of what God is doing, and so I've tried to you know we've endeavored to be faithful at doing that. Uh, with our our givers and and one day I was visiting a sing uh, a single mom uh, that has been supporting us. Now she's been supporting us for thirty seven years. So she has grandchildren now. And uh, she, when we were visited, my wife and I were visiting her. She went. She said, I, "Hold on a minute. I need to get something." And she got a, a folder and she said, "Do you want this? All your newsletters are in here from the last. Uh, I think it was about thirty years at that time." And I said, "No, I hold on to that." I might need that in the future. So, uh, uh, <laughs> but then, you know, the, the temptation also, you know, Americans want, uh, they want the big, big stories and the numbers a lot of times. And so the temptation is just to tell the numbers without telling the stories. And so right. I've fallen, fallen into that sometimes. And uh, I'll be reminded, uh, uh, someone will remind me along the way, you know, we want to hear the stories, not just the numbers. So I've I started out that way. I may have got off course a couple of times, and the Lord brought me back uh, through encouragement of some of my friends and uh, close my close friends. So uh, telling the story is what we try to endeavor to do now on our on our Facebook page, our website, and our visiting of churches and donors and and sharing with them what God is doing. Hmm, that's cool. Well, I love to hear that. Uh, as we've talked about offline, like that's our passion. That's our interest mm -hmm. and, and purpose as, as an organization is to help ministries in that storytelling space. And so it, uh, it encourages my heart to know that you guys are doing that and uh, being consistent with that. Mm -hmm. um, with a ministry named like Crossing Cultures International, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask how you're making sure your storytelling is engaging across the various cultural audiences in which you guys are working and communicating with. So how do you, how do you tell a story of what's going on in the Philippines to a, a donor base and an audience probably that's mostly based in the West um, mm -hmm. and make sure that that story crosses that cultural gap because those gaps are a significant gap, right? And so how does, yeah. how does that work with you guys? Yeah, the, the, the context is uh, different here in the West mm -hmm. uh, or in the Philippines, but there are a lot of similarities. So, uh, you know, we don't uh, get down into the uh, nitty gritty of the details, but we tell the big picture of the story. Uh, for example, we have a, uh, an engineer in the Philippines. He lives in Mindanao. Uh, he, act he actually was born on the island I used to live on. I, I used to live on the island of Bohol. And uh, we lived in Mindanao for two years and moved to Bohol. He, he grew up in Bohol and moved to Mindanao to a Muslim Roman Catholic area. And uh, he and his wife are uh, developed subdivisions. And so the Lord has blessed him financially, but he wanted to use his uh, gifts and abilities personally. 
and ministry and making a difference. So he went through our training and graduated six years ago. And he said that he wanted to become one of our trainers. And so he, we trained him how to lead the class effectively. He became a trainer. He started a class with 10 students. Uh, if they didn't have shoes, he bought shoes for them. If they didn't have a house, he built a house for them. And they came to class on Saturday all day. Then they worshiped together Sunday morning. And uh, he took them two by two in the afternoon and dropped them off in different parts of the city. And then went back later in the afternoon to pick them back up. And they shared got the gospel with people along the way. And uh, after two years, after he got to the end of the class, they had started 10 churches. And so we, we tell this without going into the, the cross-cultural element of it. And, uh, and since then, uh, he's... Uh, so over the last six years, he's he has started 21 churches and baptized over 600 people. So we tell that basic story. Here's a guy that wants to serve God, not only with his uh, finances, but with uh, learning how to to do ministry as an engineer, but as an engineer for God uh, in his uh, not only in his business, but also in ministry. And uh, and so he's in he, uh, the, the the denomination that he is in has made him now the director for uh, the Central and Southern Philippines now because of his effectiveness. Wow. Yeah. So we, That's you amazing. Know, That's incredible. Yeah, we tell the story. Uh, you know, the stories, stories resonate anywhere, no matter what uh, country you're talking, uh, you're, you're in or what people you're talking to. Uh, you just, you have to, focus on the element of the story that people can understand without getting caught into the uh, cross-cultural details of it that people would not understand. Mm. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, that's cool. I'm glad that you guys are doing that and uh, being consistent. This has been an incredible uh, episode. I've learned a lot from you. Thank you so much for being on the show. If People want to get a hold of you and learn more about what you're doing, learn more about CCI or Crossing Cultures International. How can they do so? Oh, they can uh, uh, write, go to our website, cciequip.org. They can write me personally. Uh, my email address is dnelson at cciequip.org. That's Charlie, Charlie India, cciequip, E-Q-U-I-P.org. Uh, or they can call our office phone number, which is 813-217-5077. Or they can call our, our ministry relations manage, uh, uh, director, who is Amanda Boston, and her number is 813-777-9824. That's 813-777-9824. She is our director of ministry relations. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, and I will we'll just uh, keep that in the audio. I'll refrain from putting that in the show notes so that uh, you guys don't get spammed by bots. But yeah, okay. um, we, we really appreciate that. And uh, we've loved hearing what you guys are doing, what God's doing through your ministry. Yeah. And uh, we'd love to pray for you. Can we pray for you and CCI yeah. and all that you guys are doing? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Zach. Awesome. Yeah, no problem. Father, we just lift up David and his team and Crossing Cultures International. Uh, we thank you so much for their willingness to go and to be obedient to your call to make disciples um, mm. of all nations all over the world, Lord. It's obvious that you are working in and through David and his team. And 
um, all the people that you have trained, that he's trained and who have trained others, Lord, there's obviously this multiplicative um, movement going on uh, because of you and, and yeah. your Holy Spirit working in yes. the lives of people who love you and are obedient to you. So we thank you for that and ask that you would just continue to go, continue to lead, continue to guide um, David, the team, and uh, all of their directors and partners all over the world, Lord. Yeah. Um, I pray that they would trust you well, that they would be obedient, yeah. and that they would um, just continue to be bold for your name, for your glory. And uh, we just we thank you so much. Again, I say this every episode, but we thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing, that you have invited us into this redemptive story, uh, mm. something that you could have done on your own, but you've chosen to partner with us in this work. And so um, we mm. thank you that we get to be a part of that in whatever small way um, we do. Obviously, the Holy, your Holy Spirit is the one doing all the work. Mm. Um, we just want to be obedient vessels um, to be used by you. And so... Yeah. We love you. We trust you. And we thank you that we get to be a part of your work, Lord. Um, please bless David his, and his team and uh, continue to go before him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Okay. Well, yeah, no problem. Thanks so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. We love getting to know you and, and uh, hearing what God's doing through Crossing Cultures International. And um, thanks, yeah. Thanks again for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in our process. Check out Reliant Creative at ReliantCreative.org. See you next time.